Can we pray this morning? Father, we thank you for your presence that's here today. God, I believe that you're already speaking to people this morning. Some very specific things during this time of worship. Lord, you've promised that you would inhabit our praise. And this morning as we've gathered to praise you, to worship you, and to honor you. Father, we ask that you would change our hearts. That you would do something inside of us that makes its way to the outside of us. Be the very center of our lives. God, today we ask that you would come and dwell inside of us. Change us, Father. God, we give you our lives today. Let this day be a day of declaration when we say, Father, we want you literally to be at the very center of everything that happens in our world. We give you our lives. We give you our heart today. Do what only you can do in us, for us, and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, can we thank our worship team this morning? Amen. Well, I just have to say before we start with the message this morning, I asked uh, Pastor Aaron and the worship team if they would do that song specifically because I felt like so strongly that it just tied into the message that I want to bring to you today. But I just want to say I really believe um, I really believe that God's kind of doing something prophetic this morning. And um, the reason why I use those words, and I don't want to throw that word around loosely, I mean it very, very intentionally. I was just standing down here in worship this morning, and there was just a word that was like a word that was everything this morning. It was that word rest. I don't know what it was, but as I just worshiped God this morning, I just felt like I got a breath of fresh air. And it's not an emotional thing. It's not like a chills up and down your spine kind of thing. It was just a sense of God saying, rest, rest. I'll tell you what, a lot of us go through life, especially us Christians, we go through life beating ourselves up for our shortcomings. And God says, I've already paid the price for your shortcomings. And when, I, when Pastor Aaron was doing transition this morning and he went to Matthew chapter 11 and talked about, come to me, you who weary are heavy laden, I will give you rest. There it was. And I believe that that word, the word rest is for some people this morning. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're at. It might just be a handful of you. But I believe that that was very, very intentional and that God's speaking to some people this morning. So can we just praise God real quick for his word? Can we thank him for speaking to his people this morning? Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, would you join me this morning in Proverbs chapter 4? Proverbs 4. We just sang that song, Jesus at the Center. I want to bring you a message this morning called At the Core. At the Core. And the reason why I want to bring this message today is because I felt like God just impressed upon my heart a very specific message for this day. And we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 4 in just a second here, but 
Uh, there's a quote that I referred to in 2016. There was a message I did last year, and I can't even remember which one it was, but there's a great quote that I love. It was from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and many of you might not know who that is, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer was this man who really was a follower of Christ who lived in Germany in the early part of the 20th century, and he stood up against the Nazi regime that was killing Jews and stood up for his faith. He said, this isn't right. This regime is wrong. And by standing, for his, standing in his faith, he actually died a martyr by standing up to Hitler and the Nazis in those days. And he had this observation of what was happening around him. He said these words. He said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And I say that this morning because I think that one of the things that we must all be able to relate to and understand is that at the heart of most of the problems that you and I will deal with is the problem of the heart. If you look at most of the problems that we deal with in the world today, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. I believe that's what Bonhoeffer was really trying to say. Scripture talks about this principle through and through from front to back, and I want to talk just a little bit about it today. But having said that, I think it's incredibly important for all of us here today. Maybe you're new to your faith. Maybe you aren't in a relationship with Jesus today. I believe that this message will speak to you right where you're at today. But for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, to be Christ followers, disciples today, I think one of the most important lessons that we have to learn in our faith is a lesson that's sometimes very hard for us to learn in our faith. And it's this principle that God wants to continually change us from the inside out. Our human nature, religion, and legalism tells us that we change from the outside in. We please God by our works, by the things that we do externally. But the principle that we see throughout Scripture is that God wants to continually change us from the inside out. I want to say something to you this morning that's really important, and I hope this hits home with everybody today, and it's simply this. God is more interested in your internal transformation than he is your behavioral modification. Say this one more time because some people really need to say amen to this one, okay? God is more interested in your internal transformation than he is your behavior modification. That's good news for us today because it tells us that religion and legalism is not the answer to a right standing relationship with God. Is everybody with me so far? Now, let's talk a little bit about this today because when we talk about at the core, it's really important that we understand that God wants to deal with the core issues of our life so that everything that flows out of the core will take care of itself and work itself out. Now, before we look at Proverbs 4, let me just give you a quick illustration of this. Let's bring this to a very human level and just equate this with something I think we can all understand. Last year, I set a goal for myself. And my goal was pretty simple. I made a decision that I wanted to be more consistent with going to the gym and working out last year in 2016 than I ever have before. Now, here's the thing. I didn't exactly do it greatly throughout the course of the entire year, but last year I did better than I've done since I was like a teenager in high school playing sports. And I know that by looking at me, you can't tell that I've been going to the gym, but I'm just telling you, like, I made some real progress last year, okay? Now listen, here's the point I want to make. I was looking back last year, and it was really funny because I wanted to see some more results this year compared to what I saw last year. And I got to looking back at last year, and I was like, why is it that I didn't see all the results that I wanted to see? And think about the question I'm asking. Why didn't I see the results that I wanted to see? Okay, now that's the big question. So I, I was looking back, and, you know, I use this workout app that's on my phone that every day has a different workout, right? 
So I would go to the gym and I would go through this workout routine. And here's just the truth, because I went back and studied like kind of my routine and my patterns. And I just got to be really honest with you. I work out like a total guy, okay? This is what I do. I'll open up that app. It'll show me my daily routine. And I'm like, oh, yeah, arm exercises. Uh, come on. Give me some of that. Shoulder exercise. Let's work on those arms. Let's work on those shoulders. Let's work on that chest. Oh, yeah, come on. That's the stuff that looks good. And then once a day, you know, I'll throw in like some legs so that I can't say that I, I can say that I didn't skip leg day, okay? And I'll start out my workout with a little bit of cardio to work up a sweat. But then there were those days where I would go through that app and the next exercise would be like this core exercise that deals with my abs. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to do that one. And the reason why I didn't want to do that one is because how many know those core exercises, they hurt, man. They're not fun. Those are the ones that make you want to throw up. And the reason why is because I've been working on what I got here for like a few years. Like it took a few years of laziness to accumulate this spare tire. Does anybody know what I'm talking? I know that you don't want to say I'm in the same boat as you, Zach, but come on, does anybody know what I'm talking about today? And so what I found was over time, I really love to put an effort and put emphasis on the things that were going to look good. But when I would go to the store to buy a new shirt, it was like I was looking for the perfect fitting shirt. Because if I put that thing on and I button the first couple of buttons and it feels a little snug, I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I've been growing a little bit. But then I get to the bottom and try to button these ones and it's a little tight and that doesn't look so good. You know what I'm saying? Because what I found was that the perfect shirt would show off all of my strengths but cover up. You know what I'm talking about, cover up all of my weaknesses. Is anybody, are you with me so far? And what I found was when I look back last year and I, at last year and I say, how do I want to get better results this year than what I had last year? I've come to the conclusion that at some point I'm going to have to deal with the core issue. Are you with me? Last year toward the end of the year, I actually had to stop working out for a little while because I hurt my shoulder. And, you know, it wasn't a terrible thing. Doctor was like, no, you're good. It just had to heal. But what I found was the reason why I hurt my shoulder was because I was relying on my arms, my chest, my shoulders to do some things because I was unwilling to engage my core. I was overcompensating with these outer muscles to make up for something that I was lacking in core weakness. Does that not sound like our Christianity sometimes? We put on the show of the things that look strong to cover up the reality of the things that are weak. You know what that's called? It's called external Christianity, where everything is about the outside. It's all about what you see. It's all about what I do that pleases God. And it never gets down to the heart of the problem, which is the core problem, the problem of the heart. Everybody still with me so far? Okay, so let's move forward and look at this. Now, we're not going to stay on the scripture for very long in Proverbs 4, but if you've been walking with God for a while, if you've been a part of the bridge for a while, you know that we like to refer to this passage of scripture. If you're new to your faith, circle this, okay? Remember this. Note it somewhere. Put it in your phone. Whatever. This is what Proverbs chapter 4 says. This is Solomon writing, the, old, the wisest man who lived up until the time of Christ. Proverbs 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all Diligence. Other translations say, guard your heart with all vigilance. Be willing to fight for your heart. For out of its spring or out of it flow the issues of life. I love to ask this question. How many people know what it's like to have issues? How do we deal with our issues? By dealing with the heart of the problem, the problem of the heart. What's Solomon saying here? Guard your heart. Be vigilant. Be willing to fight for the condition of your heart. 
Your heart is all too important because out of it spring the issues of life. Have you ever noticed that when it comes to the issues of our life, we can easily identify our external outer issues? And how do we go about trying to fix them through external works? When what he's saying right here is if we can deal with the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart, we'll find that our heart's in the right condition. And out of it, issues, the correct things will begin to flow and the bad things will start to pass away. Why? Because we've dealt with the heart of the problem the problem of the heart. That's what Solomon was talking about. That's the principle I kind of want to stand on this morning as we go forward because I think it's important that all of us understand that God is more interested in our internal transformation than he is our behavioral modification. If God can get a hold of our hearts, then everything on the outside, all of the external things will begin to fall into into place. And, you know, we talked about going to the gym. We talked about this idea of getting the core things right. If you're taking notes this morning, let me give you an acronym for CORE, okay? CORE, C-O-R-E, if you want to write these things down. I think this will really help you when it talks about dealing with the core issues of life. Here's an acronym for CORE. Central Objectives Releasing Everything Else. C-O-R-E-E, I'm taking some creative liberty there. C-O-R-E, Central Objective Releasing Everything Else. If we can get the central objective right. What is that? The objective of dealing with the issues of our heart. It will release all of the right things into all of the right places. You with me? All right. Okay. It sounded like not as many of you are with me. Is everybody, we good? Okay. Now let's move on because I want to illustrate this to you from scripture. I want to take you two specific places and then kind of tie this thing up, put a bow on it at the end. Okay. This is the story of David. When we look at King David, there are so many different facets to David's life. But we get an introduction to David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So if you've got your Bible, go there with me real quick. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of a background, okay? 1 Samuel 16, we see that there's the prophet Samuel. He has appointed King Saul many years earlier, but now Saul is no longer walking with God. He's no longer having his heart toward God. And this is the man who's supposed to lead the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. Saul's heart is no longer toward God. So Samuel, his heart's breaking because he recognizes that the king is no longer serving God. And Samuel being the mouthpiece of God, the one who's in closest relationship with God, he's crying out to God saying, God, what are you going to do about this? And then finally we see in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel that God looks at Samuel and he says, Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? It's time to move on. It's time to move forward. He says, fill up your horn with oil. That was for anointing for a new king. He says, and go to Bethlehem. I'm going to show you what to do. So he goes to the town of Bethlehem. Sounds familiar. That's where Jesus was born. Also where David was from. So Samuel goes there and he tells him, he says, look, you're going to find a man named Jesse. And what you want to do is you want to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Don't tell Jesse about that part, but just invite Jesse and his family to the sacrifice. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem and he finds this man named Jesse and he says, hey, bring your family, bring your sons. We're going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Now you got to realize that Samuel is the prophet of God for the entire nation. He's God's mouthpiece. He's the man of God in that country. So Jesse's like, hey, Samuel's inviting me to take part in this sacrifice, me and my family. I'm in. I'll be there. Boys, get cleaned up. Come on. Put on your Sunday best. Let's go. We're going to be before the man of God. We've got to have good appearance. We've got to look good for the man of God here. Come on, let's present ourselves. Put your best foot forward. Take a shower for once, guys. Put on some deodorant. Brush your teeth. A clean pair of clothes wouldn't hurt you. Comb your hair a little bit. Show up looking good for the man of God. And so Samuel shows up to offer the sacrifice, and here they come, Jesse and his sons. And Samuel begins one by one to go down the line and look at his sons. And Jesse has no idea that what's really happening on the inside is that Samuel's looking for the next king of Israel. And what's interesting is 
Samuel looks at all of Jesse's sons, and one by one, he's like, no, I mean, you, you look good, you're clean shaven, you got a nice pair of clothes on, you smell good, but it's not you. No, it's not you either. Next. It's, it's not you either. And then finally, look at what happens in verse number seven. It says that in the midst of walking through Jesse's sons and looking at each one of them, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, if we were to go on and look at this, the thing that we find is that Samuel gets to the end of the line, and he still hasn't found who this king's supposed to be. Imagine standing there, and you think you're listening to God, but the guy who's supposed to be there isn't there yet. So Samuel asked the obvious question. He's like, Jesse, these all the boys you got? Are these all of your sons? And he's like, well, there's, there's this other one. He's a shepherd. He's out in the field. He's taking care of my sheep. And I think that right there in that exact moment, Samuel was able to supernaturally see man only in the way that God sees man. And here's what I mean by that. He looks at Jesse and he says, send for him. Bring him in here. Come on. So they send for David. They bring him in. And can't you imagine David unprepared walking out of the field? He smells like sheep because he's a shepherd boy. He's been out in the field taking care of his father's sheep. He comes inside. He's dirty. He's got dirt under his fingernails. His clothes are filthy. He probably stinks. He hasn't showered in days. He might not even own a toothbrush, but he likes being out in the field. That's his spot. That's his place. He gets brought inside to stand before the man of God, and suddenly Samuel can see with eyes the way that God sees, and he says, that's the one. That's the guy. He's the one. Why? Because God just said, don't look at his outward appearance. Look at his heart. I think in that very moment, Samuel was able to see David the way that God saw David. Now, what we see is that eventually David's anointed. And there's still years before he's going to become king. But early on in this stage of life, he's anointed to one day become king. This is a day of appointment for David. This is the first place we see David mentioned here in Scripture. Now, if we go on and we read the rest of the story of David, we know that David wasn't just shepherd boy. Eventually he goes from shepherd boy to kind of shepherd king, really. Then he becomes the giant killer. Then he becomes the conquering king and a mighty warrior. But one of the best ways that we know David is David was the psalmist. It's amazing these different facets of his life. Like we could just capitalize on any one of them, but they're all so interesting. They're all so intriguing. But I want to focus in here on David the psalmist. What was going on in his heart? What was it that God saw that man could not see? Let's talk about this for just a second. If you look at David the psalmist, it's very, very clear that there was something that was going on in the heart of David that was unique. There was something about preparation that was happening on the inside of him. When you look at his psalms throughout the course of his life, they reveal the real thing that God was doing inside of his heart. Now watch this. This is Psalm 119. This is revealing the heart of David the psalmist, who he really was. This is what Psalm 119 says. Many of you will know this passage. In verse 9 it says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Notice verse 10. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O oh Lord. Teach me your statutes. I love the question that David asks at the beginning of that passage there in Psalm 119. He asked the question, how can a young man cleanse his way? I like the way the NIV says it. The NIV says, how can a young man stay on the path of purity? 
That's the question that he asks. And man, I'll tell you, as a pastor, if I had a dollar for every young man that's ever asked me that question, hey, as a young man, and this doesn't just apply to young men, this applies to men and women of all ages, throughout the course of my life, how can I stay on the path of purity? How can my life be pure before the Lord? David answers the question immediately. Look at what it says there again in verse 10. It says, with my whole heart... I have sought after you. He's not just saying in my actions, not just in my deeds, not just in my words, but with my heart, I have sought after you. Why? Because David understood if I can deal with the heart of the, heart of the problem, the problem of my heart, if I can get my heart right, then I know that my actions, my deeds, my thoughts, everything else will flow out of the right standing condition of my heart. But then look what he goes on to say next. Verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Everybody say hidden. Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Let me just take this into everyday vernacular. I think that for many of us as Christians, if we were to be the ones writing this verse, this is what we would write. Your word I have hidden on a shelf, so that when I make a mistake or when I run into a problem, I know where to find that book. Anybody identify with that? Like we run into a problem, we're like, man, where did I go wrong? I need to go back to the word of God. There's nothing wrong with that. But what David's saying here literally is this. Your word I haven't hidden on a shelf. I've hidden it right here. So that before I make that mistake, so that before I make that choice, so that as soon as that thought hits my head, and as soon as I have a decision in front of me, I've already hidden your word right here so I don't have to go back and realize where it was I went wrong. I've already got it right. You with me so far? Is this hitting home with anybody? Man, I'll tell you what, David understood this principle of the core. What's the central objective? Put God's word in my heart so that everything else will take care of itself. You know, sometimes what we do when we miss the mark and we live a life maybe that's full of mistake or sin that's, that's repeated over and over and we can't fix it, instead of hiding God's word in our heart, what we do is we tend to put God's word all around us so it gives off the appearance that we got it all together. David's like, I don't even have to do that. I've just hidden that thing right here so that when I come into contact with this next decision that's in front of me, I've already made the decision. It's already decided. I'm not going to go that way. God's word is hidden here. He's telling me to go this way. He settled the core issue. He's dealt with the problem of the human heart. Now, of course, we know the rest of the story with David or those of you who know it. We know that David made mistakes. There's times where he missed the mark. And it's interesting if you go back and you read that over and over and you look at it over and over again, David had to always go back and say, okay, God, I choose to put you right back here again. And there's a, a song that was written many years ago that quoted the Psalm of David that said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And later on in that verse, it goes on and it says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. I think one of the things that David understood is that if I don't continue to put this word here, hide it here over and over, day in and day out, make a habit of it, make a lifestyle of it, then it's very easy for me to get to a place where I find myself sidetracked because it's no longer the word of God that's being hidden in my heart. Now suddenly I'm choosing my own way. I'm choosing my own path. Daily, I have to make a decision to put your word here, God, to make sure that the core issues are settled so that everything else falls into place. He had to deal with the core issues, and he talks about right there how it was that he did it. Now, I want to go on and I want to show you another example of this because we talked about David, the psalmist, the conquering king, the giant killer, but what did Jesus have to say about this? I want to show you two other places where Jesus talked about this exact issue, actually, okay? So if you got your Bible, go to John chapter 14 real quick. 
And the background of this is Jesus is talking to his disciples in this passage in John 14. As he's talking to his disciples, Jesus is revealing who he is. And he's about to tell them about how the Holy Spirit is going to come and be their advocate, be their helper, who's going to be with them when Jesus is no longer there. Now, you might know this passage of Scripture pretty well. This is what Jesus says in talking about dealing with the issues of the heart. Look at verse 15 of John 14. He says this very simple statement to his disciples. Guys, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, when you read that passage, I'm curious to know, I'd be really interested to know where you put the emphasis when you read this. Do we put the emphasis on keeping the commandments or do we put the emphasis on loving Jesus? Because we have to make a decision on which side of this verse we'll live on. Are we going to choose to be people who we're trying so hard, we're striving, we're going out of our way, we're doing everything in our flesh to keep his commandments? Are we going to be people who are loving Jesus? And I want to explain this to you because I think that many of us, we have misread this verse. I think Jesus was telling something very intentional that his disciples understood. See, these guys knew Jesus intimately. They walked with him. They lived with him. They went everywhere with Jesus. These guys did life together. They knew the heart of God. And sometimes for many of us, when we read this passage, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. What we think Jesus is saying is we think Jesus here is saying, guys, you're going to prove to me that you love me by doing the things that I told you to do. I mean, some of us have had parents like that. We felt like we could never please our parents because we always felt like it was, look, if you're going to prove you're a good kid by doing the things that I've told you to do and it seems like you can never obey. And sometimes we tend to look at Jesus that way. It seems like we look at God that way. We look at Jesus like he's got his finger out, always pointing the finger at our wrongdoings and say, if you want to prove that you love me, then you'll do the things that I say. And I don't believe that's what all, at all what Jesus is saying. I believe what Jesus is saying is, if you love me and if you're in relationship with me, the things that I've told you to do, the commandments that I've given you, it'll come easy to you. Why? Because we're in a loving relationship. Here's another way of looking at it. And I don't want to like try to brag on me or anything, okay, because I'm way far from perfect. But when I wake up in the morning every single day, I, you know, I pray about my wife, my marriage, my family. I want to have a good marriage. Anybody else want to have a good marriage? When I get up in the morning, can I tell you this? Like my thought is not today. I have to choose to be faithful to my wife. Like, I have to make that choice because, you know, there's just temptation all around. I have to choose to be faithful to my wife because, man, if I don't make that choice first time every day, I don't get up in the morning thinking I need to be faithful to my wife. I, need, I get up in the morning thinking I need to love my wife more. Babe, how can I love you more? How can I get to know you more? How can I just discover the beauty that is you? If I can have a loving relationship, then any temptation that could ever come my way wouldn't be a problem. Why? Because there's a sense of love that exists here that says, I can't even imagine having a heartbreaking thing like that happen because I love you so much that that's not even the issue. The issue is we have a love that's real, so therefore I'm, I'm faithful. It's no problem. It's easy. Everybody with me so far? It's so important that we understand that when we look at the external things of our life, sometimes we put this emphasis on self-control. And I'm not saying self-control is a bad thing. We'll come back to that in just a second. But self-control is not the answer to all of the problems and the temptations and the things that we deal with. A loving relationship with God where we are continually falling deeper in love with Jesus is the answer. Because if we have a loving relationship with Jesus, then all of that other stuff on the outside will take care of itself. Like when my wife says, hey, you know, do you mind running these errands? Can I tell you something? Sometimes if I didn't really love my wife, I would be mad when she asked me to take out the trash. Like, I don't feel like doing that right now. I just got home from work. But it's not an issue of, of how I feel. 
It's not an issue of being told. It's an issue of I love you, so therefore I want to help you out. I want to do things that are going to make you happy, that are going to satisfy you, that are going to fulfill you. Why? Because it's all happening out of a place of a loving, deep, intimate relationship. Now, I want to illustrate this just a little bit further because, you know, I talked about self-control a second ago. Let's take the issue of temptation here for just a bit, okay? You know, temptation, every one of us faces temptation. And we talked about, you know, being faithful in marriage and to your spouse and all that. Every single one of us, not just in that area, but in other areas of our life, we all face temptation. And not only that, each and every one of us, we know what it's like to fail during times of temptation. Anybody else out there? Hey, sometimes, like, I don't pass the test. It's amazing how when it comes to temptation, the thing that we try to do so often is we come back to this place where we make it about our fleshly works. And we say, well, I just got to have more self-control. And when I find myself in that moment of temptation, what am I going to do? I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, self-control, self-control, self-control. Don't do wrong, don't do wrong, don't do wrong. Self-control, self-control. And then you turn around and the decision's already been made and immediately you fail the test again. Why? Because self-control isn't always necessarily the issue. And so many of us, we get beat up over this all the time. And the reason why we continually fail and don't pass that test is because we haven't solved the problem of the heart. We haven't gotten to the heart of the problem. Watch this. This is Galatians chapter 5. Most of you people who are following Jesus, you know this passage of Scripture. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and oh yeah, come on, you're out there, right? Self-control. What is this saying? It's saying that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit who's already at work inside of me. In other words, self-control is not this thing of Christian discipline where I'm continually telling myself and I can just get those words over and over in my head and memorize it so that way I can pass the test. No. Self-control externally is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit being at work inside of me internally. And so if there's issues, if there's challenges, if there's temptation that I'm dealing with in my life, the problem is not, or the, the answer is not self-control in the works of the flesh. The pro, or the answer to that problem is having a deeper, more loving relationship with God where the Holy Spirit is empowering me so that way self-control becomes a byproduct of that loving relationship. Man, I hope this is hitting home with you today because I really feel like God wants to show us today that it's not about religion and trying to please him with our external works. It's about an internal transformation that gets everything externally going in the right direction. Now, I just have to, I want to stay here for just one more minute because I feel like it's really important to say this, okay? I heard a pastor, one of my favorite Bible teachers, he told this funny story. There was this, there was this guy that walked into a pet store one day, right? And so he goes into this pet store, he gets to the back of the store, and as he's looking at all the different pets in the store, there's this huge birdcage, and there's a parrot inside that birdcage. And the parrot's one of those talking parrots, so a lot of people like to come into the store to, you know, see that parrot. And this guy doesn't know anything about the parrot, and he walks by the cage, and the parrot looks at him and says, hey. And he goes, what? And he goes, man, you're the ugliest human being I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Guy gets all mad, and he goes up to the pet store owner. He's like, hey, you know what your bird just said to me, man? He said, I'm the ugliest human being I've ever seen in my life. And so the guy leaves the store and he's all upset. And the pet store owner goes back there and he opens up that birdcage and he smacks the bird around a little bit. He plucks out a couple of feathers to punish him. (laughs) Closes the cage and moves on. A few days later, the same guy walks into the pet store. And that pet store owner, you know, he told that bird, hey, don't do that again. I'm trying to run a business here. You're messing with my customers, running them out of my store. A few days later, same dude walks back into the pet store. He goes by that birdcage. And that parrot looks at him and he's like, hey, 
And he goes, what? And he says, you know what? <laughs> now that's a pretty silly story. But each, listen, each and every one of us knows what it's like to fail in times of temptation. And when we look at our future and we say, God, I know you have something great for my life. I know that you want to do something purposeful and amazing through my life. We find ourselves at this place where the enemy is constantly telling us, hey, you know. You know what you've done. What do you, who do you think you are to think that you're deserving of God's favor? To think that you're deserving of God's purpose, of God's presence on your life, of God's anointing on your life. So many of us, we go through our life, and especially, listen, especially us Christians, we go through our life telling ourselves and convincing ourselves that the way that we will be in right standing in relationship with God is through our external works. And I want to tell you something, that is never the answer to the challenge. The real answer is a loving, deeper, more intimate relationship with God. If you look at what Jesus said to his disciples right there, he made this statement. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the very next thing that he says, he says, is when I'm gone, I'm going to send you an advocate. He's the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit can live here. Listen to me. If you are in relationship with God, God is not external of you. He lives right here. You don't have to go searching to the nearest tent revival. You don't have to call the guy on TV. If you're in relationship with God, Holy Spirit lives right here. If you can get the core issues right, the central objective that releases is everything else. If we can deal with the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart, we don't have to worry about external things because external things become a reflection of my internal reality. And many of us beat ourselves up going over this routine time and time again, never passing the test. We fail through temptation and what we don't realize is that self-control can be found, but it happens because of what God the Holy Spirit is doing here and it becomes a reflection of what's happening on the inside. Central objective, what is it? Be in relationship with God that releases everything else. Suddenly there's self-control in my life. This morning we're talking about dealing with the heart of the problem, the, the problem of the heart. I believe that God has a purpose for every single person that's in this place today, that he has divine appointments and destinies for every person that's represented here today. We talked about that story of David earlier. And one of the things that stands out to me is that that day when David was anointed king as a shepherd boy, it was a day of divine appointment. And I believe that God wants to get you to the destiny and the purpose that he has for your life. And sometimes he will do it through divine appointments. But do you know what divine appointments consist of? God's opportunity and our preparation. Because when Samuel stood there that day, God said, look at the person whose heart is right before me. David had already settled that thing in his heart. He had been in preparation. So when the day came that opportunity presented itself, he was ready for everything that God had for him. How do we deal with temptation? the fruit of the Spirit at work in our life. How do we get to the place that God has for us? We make sure that we are continually in preparation, dealing with the core issue of the heart so that when God brings that opportunity, we've been in preparation. We're ready to meet the challenge and step into our full potential purpose and destiny. Very last thing this morning, I'm almost out of time. I'll read this to you very quickly. Jesus said these words. Luke 6, verse 43, you don't have to turn there, but he said, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit. In other words, it's a good tree, it can't bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. 
A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. And then these famous words that Jesus speaks, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What is abundance? It's when we have more than enough of something. Jesus is saying that the words of our mouth are always a reflection of the abundance, the overflow of what's happening in our heart. If you were to read that in the NIV, this is what it says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I know this might be a little weird to say in church, but you ever looked at somebody and said, well, hey, that guy's full of it. Oftentimes, the things that come out of our mouth are a reflection of the overflow and the abundance of what's happening in our heart. I know most of us are probably thinking of that in the context of bad things, evil things. But can I tell you something? That in every single area of our life, this is what God wants to do. He wants us to get the core issues right. He wants us to deal with the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart. So that way we fill our lives with an abundance of his word, of his counsel, of his purpose, of his plans, of what he wants to do. And we can then go forward and live our life in the overflow of what he's doing in here. Everybody say overflow. God wants to do something in your life, but he wants to do it out of the overflow of what's happening in your heart. We need to learn to live in the overflow of what God is doing here. The external things become the overflow of what God's doing internally. I'll say this to you one more time today because I think it's so incredibly important. God is more interested in your internal transformation than he is your behavioral modification. And somebody needs to hear that today because you've been beating yourself up and today can become a day of rest, that word earlier, because we've settled the core issues. And God, I know that you have my heart the central objective that releases everything else. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your people that are here today. It doesn't matter how long we're walking with you. We will always daily, every hour, every moment of our lives have to deal with the issues of our heart. Out of it flows everything else. God, I pray that you would strengthen people who have been following you, that we would be encouraged to hide your word deep inside of us, that we might not sin against you, but not only that, that the decisions would be made before we ever encounter the problem. That you would strengthen us, Father, that we would step into our purpose, we would be in preparation, so that when that time of opportunity comes, we will be ready, our heart will be set, the core issues will be settled. And with every head bowed and with every eye closed, we talk about settling core issues. For all of us, that starts walking into a relationship with God by making Jesus our Lord and our Savior. If you're here today and you've never made that decision before, I want to tell you that the best decision that you could ever make in your life is to choose to walk with God by saying yes to Jesus, asking him to come and be your Savior and to become the Lord of your life. He'll lead you into the very best things that God has for you, but he'll start by saving you, by cleansing you of all of your sin. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. We've come short of God's perfection. That's why we need salvation. So God sent Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, to take our place on a cross. But he didn't just do that because three days later, Scripture tells us that Jesus was raised from the dead so that you and I could have victory over death, hell, and the grave, not just for this life, but for all of eternity. If you're here today and you've never settled that core issue, the issue of the heart, if you've never come into relationship with Jesus, I want to pray a prayer and invite you to step into relationship. It's not anything that's special about my words. It's about your commitment and your decision and your heart. 
and then confessing it with your mouth. So real quick, we're going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to repeat it. And if you want to make that decision today, would you repeat these words and mean it with everything inside of you? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Just say, dear Jesus, I thank you for taking my place on the cross. Today I settle my core issue. I give you my heart. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And today I want to follow you. I ask that you would teach me your ways. Show me the purpose that you have for my life so I can walk with you both now and for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.